we go. We've been doing this series called Anchor Down, and in this series, we've been talking about the different things um, that the Bible talks about that we should be anchoring our life to. I don't know about you, but there's been plenty of times in my life when I've hit um, a storm in life, right? When I've had big waves hit my life, hit my family, um, hit my job, whatever the case is, and if I'm not anchored to something, if I'm not anchored to God, if I'm not anchored to the truth of His Word, I will find myself drifting, I'll find myself floating out and being lost, right? And so it's important that we have these different areas that the Bible talks about to be anchored to, something that's going to hold us steady in the middle of a storm. And so one of those things that we want to talk about today, and this is the last one we're going to talk about um, in this series, is the idea of being anchored to love, right? Being anchored to love. Now, I know that seems pretty obvious, like we should all love um, but it's not always as easy as it sounds. And so today we're going to talk about being anchored to love. And we're going to come out of Luke chapter 10. So if you've got your Bibles, got your phone, your iPad, whatever, uh, go to Luke chapter 10, verses uh, 25 through 37. It's a little bit long, uh, but I'm going to read it to you, and you can check it out on the screen behind me. When it starts in, in verse 25, One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? The question we all have, right? How do we get to heaven? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say and how do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so apparently this guy had some love issues, right? Apparently he didn't love his neighbor so he's trying to justify his actions, and he says this, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. And this is key. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, and when he saw the man lying there, he crossed over to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. Now, we say this every time, um, but you need to understand that the Jews and the Samaritans did not like each other, right? They did not like each other. There was, there was some, some racial, there was some uh, traditional issues. And when I say racial, I don't mean black and white. They were all the same color. They all looked the same. I'm talking about just in their background, in the way they lived their life, there were some areas that they just did not like each other. So, we got a Jew laying in a ditch, half dead and naked and beaten up, and then we got a despised Samaritan coming along, and he sees a man, and he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, saying, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was the neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Couldn't even say Samaritan. Jesus said, now go and do the same. One of the things I've noticed in, in our world today is a lot of people, there are, there are movements of Christianity that, that promote the idea of love. And one of the things they want to promote the most is the idea of loving your neighbor. And the reason they want to promote it is because they want us um, to love each other despite our differences. Now that sounds great, 
We should love each other despite our differences. It shouldn't matter what color your skin is. It shouldn't matter what your background is. It shouldn't matter what your religion is. We should still love each other, right? We don't hate each other. The Bible says if you hate your brother, like you can't love God. So, so we can't hate each other. We have to love each other. And, and, and that's what they want to focus on. And, and they push this idea of you have to love your neighbor, but they also push an idea of you have to accept everything about your neighbor as truth. And so today I want to talk about what does it mean to really love our neighbor and how do we actually do that? Because here's the thing. Right now our world is more divided than it's ever been. If you just look back, you can see the attack of the enemy. It's very easy to see how Satan works. He doesn't work by putting on horns and a red jumpsuit and jumping in front of people. He doesn't work with a bunch of magic and, and, you know, scary stuff. He works simply by dividing people. That's all he has to do. Jesus said this. He said, if a country is divided against itself, it cannot last. It won't stand. So if Satan can get in and he can begin to divide marriages, divide families, if he can get in and begin to divide uh, um, governments and begin to divide countries, then Satan can take control because division causes collapse. It's going to happen in your family. It's going to happen in your job if you allow division to come in. Look back over the last couple of years. What are the different things that we've seen? Over the last couple of years, we, we had the big race issues. So it was, it was our country being divided between black and white. I say this every time, I feel like it's always black and white. The poor, you know, brown people, they, they get left out. They don't even get to be a part of it, right? Just blacks and whites. And so we got division black and white. The next thing that happens, what? We got a vote. And so we get divided red and blue. Are you a Democrat or are you a Republican? So, so if you're this color, I don't like you. Now if you vote this direction, I don't like you. And then it was the mask. Are you wearing your mask or are you not wearing your mask? And if you've got a mask on, then, then, then you don't have any faith. And if you don't have a mask on, you're killing everybody you talk to. And so we have these divisions. And when that calms down, now it's a vaccine. If you've got the vaccine or if you don't have the vaccine, there's all these divisions. And it's like, uh, it's like Satan just continues to try to divide. And as soon as there's a little bit of healing, as soon as there's a little bit of people coming together, he'll find another place to divide us. Can I just tell you this morning, if you want to get the vaccine, get the vaccine. It's not the mark of the beast. Okay? I've read the Bible, and the Bible doesn't say that it's the mark of the beast. As a matter of fact, there's other things that have to happen before the mark of the beast comes. So you're good. If you want to get it, get it. If you don't want to get the vaccine, don't get it. I don't care. But don't hate each other over it. That's petty, and that's stupid, and that's not any way to live a biblical lifestyle. That's not what Jesus says love is. Imagine for a second that it wasn't a, it wasn't a Jew and a Samaritan. It was a white guy being beat up and a black guy walking by. Now, the black guy has to look at that white guy, and he says he probably voted for Trump. So I probably don't like him. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to reach down into the ditch, and I'm going to pick him up, and I'm going to bind all his wounds, and I'm going to put him on my own vehicle. I'm going to take him somewhere to a hospital. I'm going to get him bandaged up. I'm going to get him fixed up, and I'm going to do whatever I can to love this guy. 
What if it was a Republican walking by and he looks down in the ditch and he sees a guy with a Biden sticker on his shirt and he's all beat up and he's half naked and he reaches down and he picks him up? We couldn't even, if you were to watch the news today, you couldn't even imagine this even being true, this scenario. There are literally, watching the news or checking out Facebook, there are literally people right now saying, if you don't get the vaccine, I hope you die. And I'm just like, this is not, don't call yourself a Christian. Just deny Christ. Go ahead and do it. You're doing it with your words. Go ahead and deny him. Just go and get it over with, right? So let's talk about what does it mean to love our neighbor. Let me get off my soapbox for a minute. What does it mean to love your neighbor? A couple of things. I'm going to give you... Uh, three things that it means to love your neighbor. These, this isn't an exhaustive list, but it's three good things to think about. Number one, I cannot love God without also loving my neighbor. John, 1 John 4, 20 says, if someone says I love God but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we do not love people we can see, how can we love God who we cannot see? So right off the bat, don't tell me you love God and then also tell me you hate somebody because the fact is you don't love God if you're allowing hate in your life. Yeah, but you don't know what they did to me. You don't know the way they treated me. I was abused. I was hurt. I was broken. I didn't say you have to accept their actions. I said you still have to love them. We can't hate people and love God. The second thing is this. Love doesn't leave people in a ditch. Love doesn't leave people in a ditch. Love doesn't walk by and see the hurt and the broken and move to the other side of the road. Love says I'm willing to do what it takes, even if I don't agree with this person, even if I don't have anything in common with this person, I'm willing to do what it takes to love this person. In Jude, which is a very good little short book, Jude says this in verse 20. He says, but you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Let me pause right there. The word build there means to, uh, it's the same concept of building a house. But, but in the usage here, it means to have a plan. Now, next week, I'm going to start a brand new series um, for us. And we're going to be talking about a plan for, for building ourselves up and building each other up. So, so if you come back next week, you'll hear the beginning of that plan. But, but here Jude's saying we got to build each other up in our most holy faith. In other words, when I see someone even in church or in my small group or I see someone at my job or at the gym or someone at the gas station, right, I have a responsibility to build that person up, to encourage them from the ground up, the foundation to the roof with a plan. And so I thought that was very interesting how detailed that word can be. You must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourself safe in God's love. So in other words, if you want to be safe in God's love, what do I have to do? I got to love other people. How do I love them? I get them up out of the ditch. I build them up. I encourage them. I help them. I don't just let them flail around, right? Verse 22, and you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others by doing, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their life. So a couple of things I want you to notice. He says this, how do I get someone up out of the ditch? I've got to build them up. I've got to encourage them. I've got to pray for them in the power of the Holy Spirit. Like we can't just say, 
Uh, one of the things my father-in-law used to tell me all the time is he said, when someone tells me, will you be praying for me? He says, I immediately stop right then and pray for him. He said, because if I don't, if I say, sure, I'll be praying for you. He said, I'll forget. I won't ever pray for him. And then I'm a liar, right? And so I think it's important for us to remember that as people come to us and man, I, I was telling, I was talking to someone, I can't remember who I was talking to this week, but I, I was telling someone of how, um, how almost, not overwhelmed, because I know it's part of my job, but, but how many people have come to me over the last probably three or four weeks, um, and just to talk about issues and problems, and, and, and I was telling a friend of mine that's a pastor, I said, I haven't done much counseling, you know, like at our church, we, we have very little drama and very few issues, maybe because we're very little church, right? Not a lot of people, you don't have a lot of problems. And, and, so, uh, and so I just haven't had to do a lot of counseling until like the last probably four weeks or three weeks. All of a sudden, I've had to do so much counseling and so many, you know, have so many hard conversations with people. And, and part of the issue is, um, one of the things I have to do is I have to remember that it's all about praying for them. That they're, and I like how Jude says, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in other words, it's not me that's going to make a difference in your life. It's the Holy Spirit that's going to make a difference in your life. A lot of people say in the story, a lot of scholars say in the story of the Good Samaritan, whenever he drops the guy off with the innkeeper, that the innkeeper is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus leaves, right? Jesus leaves. And he says, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send someone to you. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit that's going to encourage you, that's going to build you up, right? That's going to help you. And so a lot of people see the innkeeper as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And it's our job not to feel like we've got to fix everybody, but we've got to take them to someone who can. Yeah. And so it's my job to pray for you in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, show mercy. And I think it's interesting how one of the things he says on showing mercy is snatching people from the flames of judgment. Right? Sometimes, sometimes in order to heal somebody, you have to hurt somebody. That sounds terrible. But one of my friends, um, one of my friends that I work out with was having some heart issues. And you know what they did? They shocked him, right? With the paddles, the, you know, charge it up, boom. I've always wanted to do that. If you're a doctor or a nurse in the house today, if you ever get a chance to let me do that, I would love to do that. Um, I mean, I'll do it to my dad. He, he'll be all right. He'll, he'll be fine. But they shocked him. They had to hurt him. They had to shock this guy in order to make his heart beat properly. And so sometimes Jude says, you got to snatch some folks from the flames of fire. Think about if you had a child, right, and your house was on fire. Would you say, now listen, son, let's, let's walk on outside. Let me do this very carefully because I don't want to hurt you, and I don't want these flames to burn you, but let's just be very careful. And let's, heck no, man. If you got a kid burning in a room, you're going to grab them by the arm. You're going to snatch them. You might dislocate their shoulder, but you don't care because they're not going to burn up in that fire. And Jude says that's how we have to approach people, to heal them, to help them, to get them up out of the ditch. You don't leave people in the ditch. And the third thing is this, love accepts without conditions. Now think about this for a second, because right off the bat, some of you guys are like, I don't want to accept them. You don't know what they do. Love accepts without conditions, but, there's always a but, right? There's always a but, but love doesn't affirm sin. Now you need to hear that again. Love accepts without conditions. I'll accept you. I'll accept you no matter what your issues are. I'll pick you up out of the ditch no matter how bloody and naked you are. But I will not leave you that way. I cannot accept 
the fact that you're going to bleed out. Listen, the story would be very different if the Bible says that he picked him up out of the ditch and he put him on his donkey. And by the time he got to the innkeeper, the guy had bled out. It doesn't say that. It says he bound up his wounds. He stopped the bleeding. It's important to see this, that love doesn't affirm sin. In John 5, 14, the Bible says this, but afterwards Jesus found him. So Jesus heals this guy. This guy's been crippled for a long time. Jesus heals him and then later goes back and finds him in the temple and told him, now you are well, right? You're healed. So stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. Even Jesus accepted the crippled man, but did not affirm his sin. He said, you got to stop sinning, man. I know what you've been doing. Don't keep doing that. Get your life right. Jude, the verse we just said, it says to show mercy to others, but do so with great caution, hating the sin that contaminates their life. When we see someone that has sin in their life, it's our job to accept them. It's our job to love them. But we have to draw a line when it comes to sin. And listen, I know know some people are like, yeah, but the Bible says judge not lest you be judged. Yeah, I get it. I don't need to judge you unless I understand the fact that I'm also going to be judged. Well, guess what? I'm fine with being judged. And I'm not judging you in a condemning way. I'm looking at you and I'm saying, hey, there's a problem in your life. We need to fix it. I went to the dermatologist. I hate going to doctors and dermatologists and dentists and anybody that wants to poke on me and cut on me with metal objects. I thought about saying today that I got robbed this week by a group of women who took $30 out of my wallet and cut me with a knife, right? Because that's essentially what happened when I went to the dermatologist. I walk into the dermatologist's office, they took my copay, and then I go back to the back and the lady goes, she, the nurse, God love her, she sits me down on this, on this paper like I'm a pickle, right? I'm about to get wrapped up. And so I'm sitting on this paper and she says, all right, I need you to take off your shirt and I need you to take off your shoes and socks. And I said... I'm just here because I got like an itchy spot on my back. I don't have anything on my feet. And she's like, no, 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 we, we check everything. And I was like, hold up, like everything or just some things? So just some things. It's okay, good, good, because I wasn't coming for that kind of doctor's visit, right? And so, so that, was, that was out of bounds and inappropriate. But I'm sorry, Oscar. I'm not that good of a preacher. Um, and so... So she starts, so, the, so then the nurse, I mean the doctor actually comes in, and when the doctor comes in, she says, all right, we're going to check you out, and she grabs my foot and begins to open every toe. And I'm like, this is so weird. My own wife doesn't touch my feet, and I don't even have a foot problem. It's just a weird, like nobody ever touches my feet but me, and I don't do it that often, right? And so she's pulling all of my toes apart, and I'm like, are you seeing anything important down there? And so, and then she looks at the bottom of my foot and she says, you got a freckle down here. Has that gotten bigger? I said, I said, ma'am, I don't know the last time I looked at the bottom of my foot. I wear shoes and I don't do this, right? And she goes, okay. And then she starts looking at my legs and then she starts looking, you know, everywhere. And I said, I'm really only concerned about this one little itchy spot on my back. And she goes, oh, that's probably nothing. And sprays it with some cold stuff. And I'm thinking, okay, we're good. We're good. We can leave. And then she looks at my nose. And she goes, how long has that been there? And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. My nose has been on my face my whole life. You know, like, what do you see that I don't see? I said, I got a bunch of scars on my nose because 
Uh, my brother-in-law hit me in the face with a Frisbee, and, and my nose started bleeding. I ran into a door one time, and my nose started bleeding. I mean, I, I've hit myself in the face quite a few times. I said, I, I bet I got a bunch of scars. And she goes, I don't think that's a scar. And she takes out a marker and draws on my face. On my face. At 7.45 in the morning, before I have to go to work and see people. And then she looks at my head, and she goes, how long has that been there? I said, I can't even see what you see. I said, you should know this by now. I obviously don't pay attention. I said, I shave my head every other day. I'm sure I've got lots of scars up there because I nick it all the time. She goes, I don't think that's a scar. I'm taking that off too. So they give me a terrible shot right in the front of my face. And then they give me a shot in the top of my head. And thankfully, they weren't liars. That, that nurse told me, she said, this is going to hurt so bad. This is the worst. And I said, all right, let's do this thing. You know, shoot me up. So they shot me, and it hurt, man. It hurt bad. And I only hit her twice, and it was like, that was like a two hit. And so then she shoots me in the head, and then they get out this blade, and they say, you probably don't want to look at this. And I said, I don't know if you notice, it's the top of my head. I can't even see it anyway, so it doesn't matter. So they're cutting me open, and then, then I had to go to work with Band-Aids and stuff all over my face. What was I talking about? <laughs> the point is this. I could very easily go to the dermatologist, and they could very easily look at spots on my head and on my nose and in between my toes or whatever the case is, and they could look at them, and they could say, ooh, that's really concerning, and they could talk to each other and say, hey, did you notice the spot on that guy's head? He's probably got cancer. He's going to die. But let's not tell him because it would be very uncomfortable to tell this guy that he's got a problem. And we do that with people all the time. We see them going down a path, a path of sin, a path of addiction, a path of, uh, of whatever, something that's going to hurt them and hurt their family and, and hurt their lineage, we, we, that's going to hurt their eternity. And we say, man, I should probably say something, and I'll tell everybody else about it, but I'm not going to tell them because I don't want to hurt their feelings, and they might not be my friend anymore. That woman took a blade out. She could care less if I was going to be her friend. She said, there's something that concerns me. I'm going to cut it off of you, even if it doesn't concern you. It didn't concern me. I've looked at my head every day. I didn't have a problem. But it concerned her, and she's the expert. As a Christian, how do I love someone? If I see something that concerns me, I have to deal with it in their life. Why? Because I've got to be a help to them. I wanted to read this whole scripture, but it's too long, and I'm running out of time. But in Ezekiel chapter 33, um, so you can go back and read Ezekiel 33 later if you want to. But in Ezekiel 33, God tells Ezekiel, he says, listen, you have to be like a watchman on the wall. Back in the day in the cities, they would build big walls around the cities to protect them. And there would be a man or men that would be assigned to be watchmen on the wall. And their job was to stand up on that wall and look out. And if they saw the enemy coming, they would have to shout down to the people on the inside of the city, Hey, there's an enemy coming. And what God told Ezekiel, he said this. He said, it's your job if you see trouble, if you see something bad happening... That, that you should shout to the people and let them know what's going on. Now, God wasn't talking about actual enemies. He wasn't talking about actual walls, and he wasn't talking about actual cities. He was talking about people's lives and seeing sin coming in. Because the next thing he says is, if the people choose to ignore your warning and die in their sins, that's up to them. They'll be judged. He said, but if you see a problem and you choose not to warn them, they'll still die, but I'll judge you for it. 
And I just thought, man, what a powerful thought. That it really is our responsibility to love people. How do I love them? If I see something wrong, I need to say something. I need to help them. And not in a judgmental look at you how terrible you are, but in a, hey, this concerns me. How can I help you? Right? So in order for us to love people, though, here's the thing. We have to also love God. Right? You can't have one without the other. You can't have one without the other. So in, in, we're going back to our Luke chapter 10, verse 27. The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So here's what I want to do. I want to just take quickly as we close out this message today, I want to take those four things, the, the heart, the soul, the strength, and the mind, and I want to talk about what that means and how does that apply to us loving God. How do I really love God? Right? How do I love God? Well, here, here's a start with the heart. The heart, when I look that word up, it, it means the desire-based uh, decisions that establish who you are. In other words, your heart is the place, not your physical bump, bump, bump heart, but your heart is the place in you that your desire comes from. And listen, if you didn't know this, whatever you desire will determine your decisions, right? Whatever you truly desire will determine your decisions. This morning or the other day, I was at the gym and someone walks up to me and hands me a stack of cookies that they got, I think, from Full Moon Barbecue that were chocolate chip cookies, which are my favorite, but half of it was dipped in chocolate. And I had a counseling session at the church, so I brought them with me to the church and I threw them in the fridge and I totally forgot about them. And this morning when I got to the church and there was nobody here and it was dark, I remembered the cookies. Now, I know that I want to eat healthy. I know that I want to, to, to be stronger. And I know that cookies aren't going to help. But the desire was so great that the desire led me from my office out into the foyer and into the kitchen and into the refrigerator. And I said, I'm just going to eat one of these cookies and take the rest home and share them with my wife or my kids. And then I remembered that my wife is in a nutrition challenge, so she doesn't need any cookies. And I remembered that my kids eat sweets all the time, so they don't need any cookies. And I ate all of them. I did it for you. I did it for you. I did. I did. Golly, I hate preaching whenever you guys know my life. So, so last night, Perry and I are doing a devotional together, and part of the devotion is um, what are the areas that you sacrifice for your spouse? And, then that, and she said, what are the areas that you sacrifice for me? And I said, what are the areas that you sacrifice for me? And let's compare and see who sacrifices the most. It wasn't a good devotional. And I said, and so now this is a sacrifice that I made for you. So just put that on the list that I'm winning, obviously. Our heart is, is the place, it's the seat of desire that leads the decisions that we make. So when your heart, when, when Jesus says this, you've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, what does that mean? It means that, that the decisions that I make need to be based on a desire for him. So my decisions that I make can't be based on a desire for me, for my money, my retirement, my love life. It can't be based on a desire for my... Um, you know, whatever, health or whatever. It's got to be based on a desire for God, first and foremost. And most of us, our desires don't have anything to do with God. And I get it, because no one's ever told you that, or you had not never thought about that. But our desires should be based on God, right? If I desire God, then everything else will change around me. I was uh, at a volleyball tournament yesterday. Uh, with my, my daughter was playing in a volleyball tournament, and 
so Perry and I are sitting around. We're talking to some of the parents or whatever, and, and one of the parents was telling us that her 15-year-old son, he's a little bit younger than G2, her 15-year-old son has this desire to be a professional baseball player, and he plays for Hewitt Trustville, and he's apparently a very good pitcher, and, and she said he, he knew that he needed to gain some weight in order to, uh, you know, to perform at the level he wanted to perform at. She said, so he, get, he comes home every morning. She said he used to just eat whatever was in the house, but now he gets home. Um, she said every morning he eats so many eggs and drinks so many protein shakes, and then afternoon he eats salmon and, and rice. And she said she was going poor, trying to feed this 15-year-old kid. But she said that over the summer he gained like 15 pounds, and he's got another 15 to go, but, but he's gained all muscle, and he's done it by eating so well. And she said, and we don't eat that well. As a family, it's not something that we just do. He has made the decision to do this all on his own. And she said, and then I started noticing that he was waking up at 4.30 in the morning and, and, and working out in the garage and, and, and eating breakfast and doing all this stuff. And she said, I walked into his room one day, and he's got a whiteboard in his room. And, and at the top of the whiteboard, it says 4.30 a.m., wake up and work out. And, you know, 5.30 a.m., take a shower. 6.30, eat, whatever, eat lunch, eat breakfast, eat lunch at 6.30, whatever. So, so he's got this whole list. Now listen. This is great if you're thinking about some 30-year-old man running a business. It's amazing to think about that's a 15-year-old kid that says, I've got a desire way out here, and there are certain things I've got to do. And his mom said, why are you waking up at 4.30 in the morning? He said, because I read that, that um, million, most of the millionaires in the world wake up at 4.30 in the morning and get their day started early. So I'm going to do that because one day I'm going to be a millionaire. One day I'm going to be a professional baseball player. So I know I've got to work out. I know I've got to eat right. A 15-year-old kid. If a 15-year-old kid can have a desire and change all of his life habits, how much more should we pursue God? How much more should we have a desire for God, the creator of the universe, the one that loves us and cares for us and saves our soul? What if God were to ask you to wake up not at 4.30? I know that's ungodly. What if God said wake up at 6? What if he said, wake up at 6 and, and, and pray? Wake up at 6. What if he said, for some of you guys, wake up at 8? Right? And some of you guys are sleeping kind of late. <laughs> Psalm 73, 25 says this, and I'm, I'm almost done. Psalm 73, 25. Whom, I, whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. When was the last time we said that to God? I know we've said it to our spouse, Right? I know we've said it to money, like we're willing to work hard for money. I know we've said it to, you know, full moon barbecue cook. I mean, cookies, whatever I ate this morning. When was the last time we said that to God? I desire you more than anything else. Psalm 42, 1 and 2 says this, As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. Where can I go and stand before him? There's a story in Luke chapter 10, and, and it's after the parable of the Good Samaritan. So Jesus talks about the Good Samaritan, and then he immediately goes and hangs out with these people, Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. And he's hanging out at their house, and the Bible says that while he's hanging out at the house, Martha 
the sister, she's just going around. She's working hard. She's trying to fix dinner, and she's trying to vacuum the floor. Well, they didn't vacuum, but you get what I'm saying. And she's, she's sweeping, and she's cleaning. She's doing all this stuff to get everything ready because Jesus is showing up with all his disciples, and the house is going to be packed, and it's going to be a party, and i got to get the hors d'oeuvres ready. And she's doing all this stuff. But it says that in verse 39 of Luke 10, her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. Mary had this desire, this heart to go after God and pursue him. And she said, I just want to sit at your feet. Like, if I could just get at your feet and just hear everything that you're saying and consume the truth that you have for me, that's what I want to do. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. How do I love God? I love God by pursuing him in my heart, with my desire. I have a desire for him. And listen, desire can be developed. Desire is not always natural. Your desire for sugar only came about because you started eating sugar. And the more sugar you ate, the more you desired sugar. The more you consume of God, the more you'll want to consume of God. The more you plug into worship, the more you'll want to plug into worship. The more you come to church, the more you'll want to come to church. The more you read his word, the more you'll want to read his word. It's a desire. It's something that I continually practice and put in front of myself. The next thing he says is he says soul, right? He says you got to love the Lord your God with all your soul. Soul is, uh, comes from the Greek word psyche, which means our identity. We talked about identity last week, our identity and our personality. One of the things that people say about my son, Colt, is they, they are constantly saying, you are just like your daddy, right? They look at Colt and they'll listen to Colt talk and they'll say, you are just, Perry says it all the time. She's like, this is my, little, my two twins. When Colt and I are sitting together doing something, she's like, these are my twins. Why do they say that? They say that because Colt watches me and copies me. He learns my patterns and my movements and my words and my tone. And Colt is a little clone of me. Now, God helped out. The DNA part helps out. He looks just like I did when I was his age, right? But the idea is this, is that he's constantly imitating me. He gets his identity and his personality partly from me. We should be having people look at us and say, you are just like Jesus. When was the last time someone said that to you? When was the last time someone listened to you talk on the phone and said, man, you are just like Jesus. Like, this is uncanny. When was the last time you were at work? And everything was going haywire, and, and the building's burning down, right? Like, like, business is going crazy. And someone looked at you and said, you are controlling yourself just like Jesus. When was the last time someone cussed you out? And you responded in such a way that the people around you said, that is just like Jesus. I think about that all the time. I think about how... Um, I treat my wife or my kids. And I think in our, in our conversation, in the, the verse that we were using the other night, um, in our devotion, the, the verse was out of Ephesians. And it says that 
Husbands, you should love your, your wife as Christ loves the church. When was the last time I loved my wife in such a way that people said, that she said, that was just like Jesus? We should imitate him. 1 John 2, 6 says, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. The Bible says that we should be growing, and this is, I didn't want to use this today because I'm using it next week, but we should be growing in, from glory to glory until we're in the image of Christ. There's this place where we have to imitate him. The third one is this, is we have to love the Lord our God with all of our strength. Strength means this in the Greek. Strength. It's really not that big of a deal, right? It means your ability, your power, your force. It means what you can do. And so as I started thinking about that, I started reading some scriptures. And one of the scriptures I came across was John 14, 15. And Jesus says this, if you love me, obey my commandments. If I really love God, then I'll do what he says. Think about how often uh, those of you that have kids that are old enough to really disobey, right? Like if they're real little, they're not going to obey just because they're real little kids. That is, it is what it is. But if your kids are a little bit older, think about how often they disobey and why does it frustrate you as a parent? It frustrates you as a parent because you're thinking, if that kid really loved me, he would do exactly what I said. She would do exactly what I said if they really loved me. Teenagers are like, please shut up. Please shut up. I walked into G2's room this morning. He told me last night, he said, I got to go with you early to church because I got to do sound today. And I was like, cool, man, I'll wake you up in the morning. So I walk into his room. I open up the door. I said, hey, it's time to get up. We got to go. And I closed the door. I went and ate my breakfast. Yes, I ate breakfast before I ate all those cookies. And I came back into his room and, and the time was up. Like I had waited long enough and I opened the door and that dude was still in his bed asleep with the lights off. And I said, you got to find your own way, pal. Closed that door and I left. If he really loved me, he would have gotten up. <laughs> the idea is this. Whenever we really love somebody, obeying them is not that hard. All right? When you really love somebody, obeying them is not that hard. Because you know that they have their best interest, uh, your best interest in their heart. And you want to please them. You want to serve them. Why is it that we feel like in, in life and in Christianity that we can say that we love God, but we absolutely live differently than his word tells us to do it. It doesn't make any sense to me. So that's why I'm constantly looking at my life, and I'm constantly looking at the word, and I'm saying, does my life match up to what he's telling me to do? And if it doesn't match up, I can't change the word. I have to change me. But what this world does right now, and especially this new wave of Christianity, is they look at their life and they look at the Word and they say, these two things aren't the same, so I'm going to change this one instead. I'll change what the Word says because the Word's not meeting up with my lifestyle that I want to live. Folks, let me tell you something. Our lifestyle is not that important. Your life after death is way more important, right? So let's live a life of love. How do I love? I love by obeying. Final thought. He says this. He says we got to love with all of our mind. Now, when I looked up the definition for mind in the Greek, obviously there's a lot of that that just means um, intellect, right? Uh, understanding, knowledge. Yes, it means that. But there was this one little definition to kind of explain how this word was used, and I thought it was so cool. So here's what it says. It, it says 
to, um, it says to move thoroughly from side to side to reach a balanced conclusion. The, the word mind there um, really goes into the idea of study. And what it's saying there is this idea that I move from side to side. I'm constantly searching and looking for truth until I can reach a balanced decision. It doesn't necessarily say that I'm reading Facebook all day and getting all of my medical and political information. Right? Just want to throw that one in there. It says that I'm searching, I'm studying, I'm, I'm, I'm thoroughly seeking out the truth. Lamentations 3.25 says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. The word seek there means to read repeatedly, to beat down a path to search out. The only time, you should never, this should never be the only time you get doctrine and theology. This should never be the only time you get God's word. God's word should be something that you're seeking out. You should never take what I say at face value. You should always go study for yourself. That's why we give you little papers to take notes. That's why this is on Facebook so people can go back and they can look and they can say, hey, I want to study what he said. I want to to beat down a path to find God. I can't tell you how many times I've I've heard the story. It's it's kind of an old story of, of multiple people that said they wanted to prove God did not exist. So they studied God and found him. And their life was transformed. Proverbs 2, 3 through 5 says, Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. And so right there, if I pause right there, it's a really neat thought of let's try to be wise, right? Like that's, you know, what Proverbs is all about. Let's be wise. Search for wisdom. Search for insight. But verse 5 is important. It says, then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord and you will gain knowledge of God. The more I seek him, the more I find him. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. So it all kind of ties back together. Seeking is an action. It's a commandment. We should be seeking after God. The Bible says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. James says that. And so it all kind of ties back together. Uh, Jeremiah says, seek him, right? That's the mind. But then he says, seek him with all of your heart. What was heart? Heart was desire. We should have this desire to seek after God, to go after him. Have you ever lost something in your house? I hate losing stuff in my house. Have you ever lost something in your house? And what do you do? You begin to tear everything apart until you find it, right? And then it's always like in the most obvious place. But you tear everything apart until you find it. Listen, that's the same way we should pursue God, the same way we should love him with our mind, is I tear everything apart until I find him. Even my own life. Why don't you stand up with me this morning so we can close out. Ask yourself this question today. Am I, you don't have to say it out loud, but in your mind, am I pursuing God? Where are my desires right now? Am I pursuing God? Or am I stuck pursuing stuff that doesn't really matter? Am I seeking Him out? Am I, am I trying to find truth? Am I obeying Him? Am I loving Him with all my strength, right? 
We can't love others without loving God first. But loving Jesus is the most important anchor point in our life. If we don't love Jesus, if we're not anchored to the love of Christ, I'm telling you, every storm is going to hit the ship of your, of your life. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to break you apart. I can't tell you how many times I've had to counsel with people that it's like every week, and this isn't recent, so if anybody watching online, I've been counseling with you, don't think I'm talking about you. But there's been, there's been people that have talked to me, and every single week they call and something new is wrong. And it's like we get that fixed and something else goes wrong. We get that fixed and something else goes wrong. And it's like this constant barrage that they just can't ever feel content They can't ever feel um, whole. They're always feeling broken, and their life is full of storms and drama. But they're not seeking God. Their anchor isn't connected to the love of Jesus. And so every storm hits them. I'm not saying I'm perfect, because I'm absolutely not. You guys know that by now. But I've had people talked to me before about how I weather certain issues and certain problems. And a lot of times it's because I know where my anchor is. My anchor is in the fact that I love God. And I may not always be perfect and I may make mistakes and there may be times that anchor gets a little loose, but I've got to keep that thing tight, right? I say, search me, oh God, if there's anything inside of me that you don't like that offends you, get it out and let me love you and give you everything that I've got. Let me pursue you with all of my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. Let me go after you. I want you to close your eyes with me this morning for no reason, spiritually, strictly for physical. I just want you to have a little bit of alone time before we leave today. Just a few minutes just to be able to get alone with your thoughts, with your heart, with your God. And I'm going to pray, and as I pray, I just want you to Allow God to speak to your heart. So Holy Spirit, we invite you into this room. And the Bible says that you're here to convict us, not just of sin, but also of righteousness. In other words, there are places in our life, God, that, that places of sin that we need to stop. And there's places of righteousness, places of, of action that we need to pick up and start doing. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, today to just look at our hearts, look at our lives, look at our our work, look at our church life, our home life, our marriage, look at how we treat our kids, God, how we treat our parents. I pray that you would inspect us from top to bottom this morning, and I pray that you would find anything, any area, God, that might be a sin, that might be a place where we're doing it wrong, and I pray that you would expose that this morning in our own hearts and our own minds. God, maybe there's some places in our life today where we're a little bit lack, where we're a little bit lazy. Maybe there's some areas of obedience, God, that we're not moving in. Maybe there's some areas of love where we're not loving other people the way we should. And I pray that you would expose that as well. Convict us of sin. Convict us of righteousness today. Your goal is never to hurt us. Your goal is always to heal us. But sometimes you've got to snatch us up out of the ditch. Sometimes you got to cut some things off. So wherever we are, whatever you're doing in our life today, God, we just submit ourselves to you. I encourage you to do that today. I don't just pray these words. These are things that I pray for myself. 
But I encourage you this morning to submit yourself to him. Submit yourself to whatever he wants to do in your life. And, and, and maybe there's some things he's exposing in you right now that, that you're saying, Gabriel, I might need some help with this. That's okay. It's not all about just, just a one Sunday deal. God doesn't just fix everything on this one Sunday. Sometimes it takes some time and it takes some friends gathering around you to help build you up and help you get through it. And that's what the church is here for, is to help you get through these issues. So God, speak to our hearts right now. We submit our lives to you right now. We submit our lives. So let's pray this prayer today. Why don't everybody just say it with me this morning. Say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. Inspect it. Look over it. Find anything in me that's not right. Find any area in me where I'm not pursuing you. If you see a lack of love for you or my neighbor, expose it. Help me to change. Transform me. Transform my mind. Transform my heart and my desires. And transform my actions. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Go ahead, Kim.